are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. It's so funny because I feel like before when we would record, it would be so hard to get into the episode because you'd have so much to catch up on. But I just spent the whole day with you, so. I know. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. I got my nails done. I feel like Lori Steinem. I'm feeling good. Feeling groovy. As you should. I want... I, I, it's like the internal struggle, struggle of always wanting long, classy nails, but also I can't play my guitar with them. Yeah, that's rough. I mean, my uh, ability to do things is already hindered <laughs> with this length, so I can't imagine trying to play a guitar with this length. I think makes yeah, it's it impossible. impossible. It yeah. is other than like you can't do anything but bar chords on your left hand. Strumming's cool, but. You can't do chords. Yeah. I mean, Dolly Parton does it. I don't fucking know how. Well, she's not a human, so. Moderna, baby. Fuck, if we would have gotten Moderna instead of Pfizer, maybe I would be able to play the guitar with long nails. <laughs> Fuck. No, Dolly Parton is like an angel. I Among know. Us. She can do anything. She can do anything. I just adore her. I think that you should get one hand long nails and the other hand short nails so you can play the guitar. Okay. I'm going to do it. It's going to be a trend. People will be really confused looking at me. Honestly, I don't think that they will. People probably won't fucking notice. People who know will know. It's like the two fingernail shortness. People who, yeah. People who know, know, you know? Well, now you know because I've shared that knowledge with you. Anyways. Um, this is another fucking hefty-ass episode, so we're going to do short baby in the beginning question so we can just really get into it plot-wise. Um, but we promise we will come back with Sex Corner. It's not gone. It's just these long-ass episodes. Yeah, Jam-packed, it's of, baby. It's a lot for your mushy brain Yeah, to absorb. Exactly. <laughs> um. So people have been asking us for podcast recommendations. So we're just going to give you a few of those. Um, somebody said, I don't remember exactly what it said, but they were like, I just binged all of um, your episodes and I'm caught up. So do you guys have any recommendations? And I was like, please, well, don't stop listening. <laughs> we're coming yeah. out with more. Don't ditch us um, recommendations, please. And I'm so sorry. You listened to us talk for like oh my so God. many hours straight. <laughs> thank, I thank you. Yeah, thank you for listening to our nonsense for so long. I don't even remember what we said in the first episode. Like, I don't remember those at all. I, I'm pretty sure if I heard one of our earliest episodes, I wouldn't think that it was our podcast. Me either. I mean, truly, the second um, the episode is published, everything we said leaves my brain. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, Emily, do you want to do your recommendations first? Show up. So mine are really boring. <laughs> I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, I'm more of a music mm. gal um, and reading person, even though I'm a very slow reader. But like I daydream a lot. And so if I'm like listening to something, I zone out. Mm. You, you can count on that happening like every time. <laughs> the podcasts are hard for me. Um, but I do really like... Um, there's one so crooked media is like a company of a bunch of uh journalists political people writers whatever mm -hmm. um a bunch of them used to work for the obama administration um and uh 
two of the women um, who are within that media corporation came out with a podcast called Hysteria. Mm. And um, it's just basically kind of like a the politics through the female gaze and um it's feminism but it's uh social issues through the lens of feminism i'll say um and through the lens of women um oh that sounds rad yeah and it's just kind of nice to hear like multiple women speaking on the same platform um because their other um podcasts are pretty male dominated so it's just nice to have that space. Um, and it's really cool. And it's got a great name. So it's just polit- politics. They interview politicians. They interview um, uh, activists and uh, civil rights organization leaders and all that jazz. That's really cool. And they're just really smart and funny. And um, yeah, so I listen to that on occasion. Mm. Um, and then the other one is equally as boring. <laughs> it's um, the Ezra Klein show. Ezra Klein is a writer, mm-hmm. journalist, the New York Times. Um, he's written a couple of books, I think, question mark. Um, but I just really like his takes on the world, on politics. And he's insanely smart. So I feel like I'm learning things and become a better participant in discourse when i listen to his podcast so yep that's cool your recommendations are so smart i want to listen to some of those because i really want to get more politically ver- well polit- well versed politically um mm-hmm. because like i know about issues i know about feminism but like when it comes to the actual like procedural as- aspects of politics i'm at sea and i definitely want to learn more about that yeah that's cool. Thank you. Um, I think another one, another one that might be good for that too, is if you want to um, at Liberty is an ACE, is the ACLU podcast. That might be good for that as well. Okay, that's that's good to know. I'll write all these down when okay when editing. All right. Um, the only other I'm the same way where I'm like a big music person, or I'll listen to like interviews with people um, that I like. Uh, if I'm listening to something like while I'm getting ready or doing things. But when I do listen to podcasts, I've listened to My Favorite Murder since they first came out. Um, and that was a big inspiration for how I wanted to go into this podcast, um, which one person has told us that our dynamic reminds mm-hmm. them of the, uh, of mm-hmm. Karen and Georgia. And that I've never forgotten that I think about it every time <laughs> we go to record because that is most pleasing to me. But My Favorite Murder, if you don't know, is a true crime podcast um but it's it's like two gals who are really good friends and they talk about these cases and normally true crime freaks me out um but they talk about these stories in a really empowering way and i don't know if i can put my finger on what about the way that they talk about it makes it empowering but Mm -hmm. i think it's because it's through the female gaze and also it's like women coming together to kind of analyze these stories and like learn how better to like I don't want to say better to ward off attacks like the ones that they talk about but like they just talk about all the flaws in the justice system and um just the power of women coming together and talking about things is great and like their friendship is amazing and their dynamic is really fun to listen to they're back and forth so I'm a big fan of them that's cool um 
And the other one, I haven't listened to in a long time, so I don't know what it's like now, but I used to listen to a podcast called Unqualified, which is Anna Ferris's podcast. Um, mm. And she basically gives unqualified like relationship advice and people call in and um ask her questions and she just gives her unqualified answers um but she's just a really cool lady i like her a lot um and i liked the stuff that she talked about in the beginning seasons i can't personally vouch for what's talked about on there now because i've listened in a bit but those are my recs yeah and people were people wanted to know like similar podcasts to ours but truth is is that we're just so unique there's just nothing like us it we're really niche you guys i don't know if you've noticed (laughs) i feel like those are semi yeah to do with what we talk about yeah sans the x-files there are other x-files podcasts that i know that if you just look up x-files and podcasts like other things will come up if you're looking for more of the spookiness differently formatted but yeah spooky nonetheless all right should we get into the episode yeah let's get into the episode i was reading as i was going into watch this episode that this was like the episode critics said was the first long-term plot that did not work <laughs> movie blood was talking about how like the this was like the first mythology episode that they thought was like a big trash fire fail really yeah because they were talking about how at least like in this episode in comparison to little green men um at the beginning of season two that episode was kind of like a second pilot for the show like you could watch that without Mm. many context and and get a gist about what the show is about you know their dynamic and what's happening and it still moves forward whereas this one would be absolutely hell for people who are jumping in for the first time or like a sporadic watch and i think it was they like jumped in like two million people listenership when the show came out when this episode premiered and so I'm sure all of the wow. people watching were like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, like, what is happening? Yeah, there's, like, way too much innuendo in this episode, I will say. Yeah, it's trying really hard to be spiritual and meaningful. Um, but it's just co-opting cultures. I mean, that makes sense because the beginning of this episode just starts from the ending of the last episode, which is, like, literally on like in flames yeah so it's like not a great metaphor no um but we're on season three besties we're on season three and this is the blessing way that means we're only 25 hours 600 minutes and 3,900 seconds away from never again oh my god did you do that math yeah that's not that far i know Uh uh-oh 25 hours of watching (laughs) maybe we'll just stop it never again honestly i don't i feel like we might have to that's the end of the series did you guys know (laughs) the season the series finale of the x-files is actually never again that was it for me that's a fact Mm -hmm. um so yeah the transition in the beginning of this episode is straight from the last episode albert is monologuing and he says quote because this quote is just too good to not dissect all right here we go in in the context so he says quote my people have come to trust memory over history memory like fire is radiant and immutable while history serves only those who seek to control it those who would douse the flame of memory in order to put out the dangerous fire of truth okay 
couple points. All right. <laughs> One. <laughs> well. I was so mad about this that I just, after I finished watching the episode, I just started yelling with at Stevie over trying to make toast because I was just so enraged by this whole episode yeah. narrative. Yeah, I have thoughts on this as well, so go ahead. It's like, so we're talking about a white man. This is Albert. He's a Native American man. He's the one who's monologuing and like kind of telling Mulder's journey in this episode and is kind of like the catalyst for that journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very troubling that a white man is like writing this think piece to open his show about a white dude solemnly chronicling the ways in which quote my people as in native americans have been failed in the way that white people have written history yeah how do i i I, i'm already done i already don't know how to speak anymore well it's just like the thing about this episode revolving so much about native american like tradition um is that like Chris Carter clearly did extensive research on this, but it doesn't mean anything when you're stealing tradition and belief to serve the development of an already highly privileged character. Well, and then it's not even, it's not even just the, it's okay. It's partially the introduction of native American culture and tradition as a form of, in the way that they do female trauma as a way Mm. to like spice up the plot and not, actually have it be the main focus it very much so reads like which i talk about later but it very much so reads as like chris carter trying to prove how interesting he is that like he thought of like the fact that native american culture would tie so well into this like similarly troubled and and um harrowing journey of molder a white man yep and so that's the other issue is like this tying of the pain and trauma indigenous communities have gone through to Mulder, who's a white man whose memory of his sister being abducted is now being likened to genocide. Like it's so beyond fucked. I couldn't actually even articulate to what degree I don't think accurately. Like, I don't think at any point that I bring this up in any of my notes that it like accurately depicts just how fucked up it is fucked up it is yeah and Um, i mean i found the same like i bring it up throughout my notes and it's like never does it feel like enough of an explore of of like a discussion on how horrible it is that this is what this entire plot is revolving around but also there was a lot of parallels between like you just said the way that this is used to spice up plot in the same way female trauma is in the way that like in these first scenes, we see really gruesome violence against Native people. For what reason? Like, because Mulder's going to avenge this violence that the white government has perpetuated as if this is the only time and only time it's ever happened? Like, yeah. as yeah. if this hasn't been happening and doesn't continue to happen? Exactly. And it's like the the choice storyline of Mulder being the chosen one was, like, annoying up until this point. But the way that it's, like, just shoved down your throat in this episode, as if, like, history itself will be tainted for the rest of time unless Mulder 
like revives himself, like resurrects himself. Literally. It's just so tiresome. Like it's so tired. And like, I just can't, I, and it's so funny because even, I remember even watching this, like not analyze, not from an um, analytical point of view. Mm -hmm. I remember just being like, why do I feel like they're trying so hard to make Mulder's storyline interesting here by inserting Native American culture to like spice it up? It's like they're trying so hard, which I don't want to get into too much now, but it's like they try so hard to make Mulder like fighting between life and death so fucking heroic and like dramatic this episode is like dramatic in the most anticlimactic way yes exactly it's so dramatic to no end for for no avail and it's like truly the episode only had one thing that it needed to do which was answer how Mulder got out of the boxcar that was the only requirement of the episode and it almost as if this literal episode is the embodiment of a child throwing a temper tantrum refuses to do that Mm -hmm. even though that's literally the only thing it needs to do and then instead of doing that one thing it does 50 other million things that you didn't ask for and don't want nobody wants that and then just to the point of like this quote in the beginning attesting to the power and the um trans historical importance of memory um isn't a great look for a show that continuously questions accusations of assault or the legitimacy of women coming forward with any trauma that's based in memory yes um so it's like, I guess memory is like, memory is the, the final, um, is like, is the um, be all end all as long as you're a man. Exactly. I have a lot of notes about memory, especially in that scene with um, Melissa and Scully. Yeah. Anyways, the whole opening monologue is very dramatic, not in a good way. Um, we pan out from the boxcar fire where we last saw Mulder and we cut to cigarette smoking man and some army people busting down the door of Albert and his family, abusing them further just to find Mulder. I will literally harp on the fact that all of this is happening because of Mulder many times. Cigarette smoking man is screaming really badly at them um demanding to know where Mulder is like babe you just lit him on fire I don't know if you saw so thankfully we cut to Scully and she's pulling up to Albert's house behind the assholes who just beat them up um and their entire home has been destroyed because of Mulder Mm -hmm. um her shirt's untucked but she's still in this like trademark green shoulder padded blouse and some pearl earrings big fan my note was these seasons are gonna be hard for you huh they're they're getting progressively harder and it's really funny because now that i think about it like the only thing that has me holding on by a thread is the fact that jillian's bangs still haven't grown out fully yet Uh so they're they kind of still just like hang over her face like in a really awkward way and Mm -hmm. the rest of her hair is longer there's like no but even if there was a gradual progression it would look weird so it's just weird right 
but that that fixes itself once that, in this season. Once that grows out like another inch, I am fucked, basically. Well, I'll support you through this time. Thank you. I need all the support that you have for me. And I'm just realizing that it's literally the only thing between my sanity and me <laughs> is <laughs> an inch of Jillian Anderson's hair. So we see Albert's grandson come out. He's like been hurt the worst and it's just very gruesome and unnecessary. They've all just been traumatized by the government and the white man further is literally the only purpose of this scene. Yep. Scully books it to the boxcar and and she had a slight outfit change into some hiking boots so she could skip around the desert. They're very (laughs) cute. She did a great job. Um, and she finds, finds the boxcar burning and just shouts out Mulder's name for good measure. But all in all, wifey's very concerned. Mm-hmm. And let's pretend the opening credits are rolling while I read the Wikipedia synopsis for this episode because okay. it's kind of hysterical <laughs> okay. and it made me excited for the rest of the episode. So there's like some bullshit about cigarette smoking man but then the last line is meanwhile scully finds herself at a loss for her next step and turns to her family for support since Mulder is otherwise engaged fighting for survival so it's like really what the quote is it's so funny because they're like yeah scully turns to her family for some support because her normal support system is like he might die that is funny so we're back after the opening sequence on a Navajo reservation northwest of Los Alamos, New Mexico. Um, Scully's driving and she gets pulled over again in just the most dramatic way by a literal helicopter, but her lips look so pillowy. I'm not really worried for her at all. (laughs) Um, Like, I'm a really big fan of Scully doing badass things on her own, but the only person who can shove Dana Scully up against a car and say, spread your legs, is Mulder. Oh. What were you? Is you. Is Emily. I pre- it's okay. But it's just, fine. like, just imagining Mulder saying, spread your legs, and, like, pushing her against a... It's yeah. a lot. Okay, want to hear my joke for this scene? <laughs> See if he just hit her head with a Fiji water <laughs> Sounds pretty empty in there. <laughs> it's a bottle on my head. <laughs> you guys, this is my brain. <laughs> okay, ready? Here's my joke. Yeah. So the military people pull her out of the car and tell her to spread her legs, which like, ew. I don't know if you've heard, but she only spreads her legs for the Navy. <laughs> oh, no. That was a good one. That was a good one. Daddy issues. Yeah in it (laughs) so (laughs) they're looking for the files but she doesn't have the right ones so they just leave all right um then we cut to scully at the fbi she's being told that she's going to be given a mandatory leave of absence without pay because she was so insubordinate and like at this point it's kind of like you win some you lose some when you're involved with spooky (laughs) but like also it's kind of funny Cause like, what is she getting suspended for? Exactly. Like, for not going showing up the, to a meeting. For going to the desert for a couple of days like, to look for aliens. Not like she killed someone. 
And it's just, it's like, as if Molly doesn't disappear for days on end all the fucking time. Literally. And it just was funny because it's like, meanwhile, in real life, in the 21st century, cops are just killing people in the streets and they're getting paid leave, you know? So, like, it absolutely is a testament to how the government cares more about the protection of their lives and the mm. monopolizing of their power than mm-hmm. of black and brown lives. But, like, was that intentional? Absolutely fucking not. No. So Scully tells Skinner that as far as she knows, Mulder's dead. So Skinner follows Scully out of his office and he just gets chewed out by her. She's so mad that Mulder might be dead and she never got to hit. Or is he alive and she's just committing to the bit because we know she can do that. Yeah, it's true. It's unclear. She knows everyone in the chain of command is corrupt she says, and Mm. she tells Skinner that he's an idiot if he thinks that he has supreme power and knows every truth. Essentially, Scully is like, you're not as special as you think you are. Hot girl shit. Like, it's really hot. I love when she says that to him. Yeah. Um, So Scully goes down to the basement office and she looks under the top of Mulder's desk drawer for the tape, but it's missing. And it's just cute to think that they had like a little secret chat like deciding where it would go so only they knew i know it's just really precious to me like those are the bits i want to fucking see i don't want to see this next like fucking godfather impersonator i know that comes up in the next scene we cut to new york city 46th street and it's these stupid old white assholes they're all like we're fucked and cigarette smoking man is like no we're not this is all gonna blow over especially because Mulder's dead. It doesn't fucking matter because in the next scene, Scully goes home and she goes to see Maggie. I know. It's this whole, like, her having a mental breakdown and walking home is really heartbreaking, but also really precious at the same time. It's, like, wholesome. Yeah. So, yay to her going home to see her mom, but sad because she's literally having a mental breakdown Um, she walked to her mother's in the middle of the night all the way from DC (laughs) and, um, she's really sad because Mulder's dead and her shoes gave her blisters and now she's thinking about her dad, which like is a surefire way to just, you know, really put the nail in the coffin on this mental breakdown. Mm Mm-hmm. She's upset because she thinks she made a really bad decision and she's mainly upset because she thinks her dad would be disappointed in her. Um, Hashtag daddy issues. Um, And I'm, but at this point, like I was hoping that like this would be cleared up as to why she's feeling like she made a bad decision, but it never really is. So think whatever you want. It like was a little <laughs> bit in the scene that they deleted with when she's talking with her mom more and then Melissa comes in. Oh, well, there you go. Can we post that? Just because I love that scene and I'm really mad that they cut it. Yeah. But also like think whatever you want is a pretty adequate punchline for this entire show. So <laughs> yeah. The X-Files. Think whatever you want. Think whatever you want. <laughs> So we cut to some boys at Albert's house. They're telling him that they saw a buzzard, which is a bird, um, flying around the boxcar, which means that something had died or that death is close, according to Albert. Again, very dramatic, very co-opting of Native and Indigenous. 
cultures. Yeah. Well, I whatever. It's like showing Eric so beaten is just really gratuitous. Yeah. And it feels the same as when they show women almost getting raped for literally no reason. Like, it reminded me a lot of when Michelle Charters from Excelsius Day was, like, horribly beaten after assault and then nobody believed her about it. Like, that was mm-hmm. just traumatizing to survivors to see that for just the sake of seeing wounds. And I feel like this is the same way, where, like, Native American people are and have been brutalized like this. So don't include these graphic details if they aren't going to be the primary exploration. Yeah, I was very shocked when Albert's grandson came out to see, like, how far they took that makeup. Yeah. Anyway, Mulder's alive. They find his beautiful hand sticking out of some rocks. So they dig him out. And, like, it feels like he's been there for, I don't know, a week. I really don't know how he's still alive. Yeah. Um, They bring him into this, like, structure that's built near Albert's home and Albert is going to save him through a Navajo tradition called the blessing way. There's your title. There it is. Do you have something to say? Yeah. Just like, I know there's a lot wrong with what's going on and like them using this like tradition to revive him. Like it's all fucked up. Right. Um, but I copied Emily in the sense that, like, when she's really blown away by how Scully's looking, she puts a picture of her in her notes. And I did this when they lay Mulder down in the leaves. Um, because, um, one, five o'clock shadow, I would lay my life down for his five o'clock shadow. Two, you can see, I don't know what that muscle is, but it's the one that goes from, like, your hip to your groin. That one. Adonis belt. Your Adonis belt. Yeah, that. Um and just you know she's there if you know what i mean that's (laughs) all those are my thoughts not how sweaty he was that didn't do anything for you i mean this whole look really looks like scully just rode his face and left him just debilitated damn yeah i'd be in a coma too (laughs) um in the mountain (laughs) buried under the earth yeah buried under the earth it was just so earth shattering (laughs) She left, but then, like, all of... There was just an earthquake. And then, yeah, there was just an earthquake. He just got trapped. (laughs) It was the aftershocks of her orgasm caused him to be fucking... On to the next one. (laughs) Um, She's like, I'm gonna go get a bagel. Meanwhile, the earth is opening up and swallowing him whole. (laughs) Yep, that's the kind of orgasm she deserves. Yeah. So, it cuts to Scully tossing a turning in her apartment. And then, someone's at her door... And it's Rohickey. Before before we get to Rohickey, what side of the bed does Scully sleep on, do you think? Because it looks like she's in the middle, but, like, what side do you think she goes on if somebody's there? Right. Well, if you're in the bed right, if you're facing the bed left, okay. um, that's what she does in plus one. Okay. Thank you. And in Requiem. Mm. Okay. And in that episode in the beginning of the first season when she's in like those blue pajamas oh yeah okay thank you that was important to me and in the pilot so very consistently right very consistently and if i'm not mistaken um stella gibson also sleeps on the right side of the bed Uh oh scully sleeps on the right side of the bed canon so yeah frohickey's there they have like this weird coffee date to celebrate Mulder's life (laughs) They say, to Mulder. Also, she has a French press, which is really important to me. He hands her a newspaper clipping. It cites the death 
um, execution style of the thinker, the dude who gave Mulder the files in the first place. Um, Scully says that they killed him after Mulder disappeared and like that somehow that means something to her. Mm -hmm. She's a lot smarter than me, so I don't really know why that's relevant, mm -hmm. but her big brain is very sexy and she has a French press, as Stevie mentioned, mm -hmm. so I'm good with whatever she has to say. I didn't understand it either. Yeah. I was like, okay, bestie, what is that? Okay, sure. I was like, I'm with you, I'm with you but like... Why is that? Like, you're so right. Oh my God, queen. But like, what does that mean? If I were in Scully's presence, like, I feel like I would just go along with everything she said. Like, I would never be like, why is that relevant? I would just mm -mm. be like, oh my God, you're a genius. You'd be like, yeah. She goes, could they be so stupid? I know, right? Like, God. idiots. Fucking crazy. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. So we're back with Mulder. Nope. We're back with Albert and dead Mulder. And um, Albert's narrating over what he's doing. And again, this is the part where it really felt like Chris Carter was just trying to brag about how much research he did on Native American culture while simultaneously hijacking it for his show that has nothing to do with the actual traditions yep. and does no justice to indigenous culture or people. So he continues like this long metaphorical narration about life and death and how Mulder's soul will choose what's right for him and like this whole part just reminded me of how like trauma adverse shout out to the flea bag scene <laughs> you know what scene I mean how trauma adverse and weak like men are that Chris literally created this whole intense struggle between life and death for Mulder and had him like floating through space on a leaf bed to supplement this trauma that Scully has gone through. Like that is Mulder's equivalent. Yeah. And it feels like it is so minuscule compared to what she and, and what most women and even what other people in this show, just random characters had to go through like yeah Scully nearly had her head chopped off but Mulder's soul had to fight for survival exactly you know what I mean? yeah like, it's all very metaphorical in a way that doesn't really work and almost like um minimizes the actual trauma of like being on the verge of of death yeah or having your life fucking threatened on a daily basis yeah and if you look at the near-death experiences of Mulder versus Scully, I know we've talked about this briefly before, but it's we, we saw Scully's nearly completely through the eyes of Mulder's rage, and now we're seeing Mulder's all through the eyes of his lifeless body and this, like, capital D divine struggle between renewing his soul or joining his ancestors. And, like, it's, it's fucking pathetic. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, it is. I, I, I can't, like really describe i don't think well why this is so ridiculous to me but like i think that the the issue that i have is like if scully were to survive like if scully when she was um in a coma if she were like the when it was in the balance still when her life was in the balance or anytime her life is in the balance if she were to survive it would be for molder 
if Mulder survives, it'll be because he was the chosen one. He was chosen by the holy people to survive and continue on his journey that he's destined for in this life because only he can find the truth because of his big sexy memory. Like, give me a fucking break. Big sexy memory. I mean, like, that's what it all comes down to. They're like, only your memory of your sister being abducted can, like, le- the world will end if Fox Mulder, God forbid, Mulder goes through something traumatic enough to make him, like, repress that memory. I know. Or forget it, or he has some kind of brain damage, then, like, life will simply cease to exist. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it, like, going off of, like, what you were saying, it's literally that his unconscious body has more agency than Scully does in the entire show. Like... Even when Scully is fully able-bodied and present and they're capable of controlling her own storyline, she's not given that agency. And him, lifeless, floating in the literal stars, still has full control over his entire storyline in in life. That's exactly correct. So yeah, so it's all vision. Mulder's very sweaty. His throat, I don't know if you noticed that, is throbbing because David's such a bad actor, he can't even get his heartbeat under control. (laughs) Like, come on. Everyone can see your life, bestie. We all can see. We are visited by several dead people. <laughs> Deep Throat talks to him. Doesn't matter what he says. I was just looking except at for the neck. fact that he's like, yeah, he's like, LOL, you're not dying. You're so fucking pathetic. <laughs> then we cut to like aliens in the boxcar being gassed. It's again, it just. Which was just so far out of left field. I was like, and then it's just never, like, that's it. Like, that's just like the little. They're going back to that fucking Holocaust, like, reference with the piles of bodies in the boxcar. But I'm like, I, I don't think I can articulate this to the extent of how wrong it is. But, like, this really did happen to people. You don't need to show what happened to aliens. And, like, again, like, in passing. Again, exactly. Like, in passing, not even as the main focus. But, like, it's the same thing where it's, like, they're showing these things as if it's, like, wow, can you believe the government would treat aliens like this? Like, bro, it's literally happened to people. I don't know what the point of this is. And I mean, like, you could argue that it's, like, if this is a Holocaust reference, it's, like, in many ways, the ideology of, of Nazis was, like, Jewish people were very much so alien, but it's like, was Chris Carter trying? Like, I, like, I don't understand. Yeah. I don't understand what <laughs> the purpose of all of these metaphors is. So then we're back with floating Mulder and his daddy's there. He says, which I, I found just, let's just use this as a little citation for our little theory that the world will end unless Fox Mulder is alive. Um, So his dad says, you are the memory, Fox. It lives within you. If you were to die now, the truth will die and only the lies survive us. Fuck you. It's just like, what is this narrative that like Mulder and Mulder alone is going to like save the world and end this like transnational global conspiracy like, to cover up every horrible thing the government's ever done, it all relies on a memory from a child that he experienced when he was, like, 
10 years old. One, I think it's funny how Scully's daddy issues are can, are like a canonical joke um, when this entire episode is a manifestation of Chris Carter's daddy issues because Chris Carter said, The Blessing Away is one of my favorite episodes because I got a chance to explore the death of Mulder's father through Mulder and it was an interesting time for me because I had just lost a parent. So it was a very personal episode to write and to research and to think about and I had a whole summer to think about it because I because it was an answer to a cliffhanger we had set up the season before. And Mulder's journey into his own past through the ritual, the Native American ritual, was something I actually attempted to do as well. But going and partaking in this, by, by going and partaking in just this kind of event. So, and it's like, that is a really understandable and emotional sentiment, right? Losing a family member and writing about it in your work, like when you are an artist, right? And I absolutely understand as an artist sacrificing some structural elements in order to serve personal exploration. I really get that. But just like what I'm struck by is how fucked up it is for a white man to use Native American rituals to heal when white men have done nothing but harm and traumatize that same group that they're now using to heal themselves like that's some that's some big girl boss energy bestie yeah it's just entitled and it's wrong and that's the 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 energy that that has is like no like i'm honoring these cultures by participating in something that's unlike my own life and unlike my own traditions it's like no you're asking people who your ancestors very likely uh harmed irreparably and immeasurably to do the healing work that is literally your responsibility yeah like what it's like me literally punching you in the face and then being like my neck hurts will you rub it like yeah yeah it's like me breaking your neck and then being like will you rub my neck it's really sore Will you like? Will you just like get some ice for my knuckles? Like my knuckles. Really <laughs> That's hurt. exactly it. It's me punching you in the face and asking ice for my knuckles. That's exactly it. One of the I think biggest um, issues you and I had with going cross country, like when mm. we were still in the West, was all of these uh, stores that were very heavy in the. Native American and indigenous um, memorabilia. Uh, and then you go to the cash register and there would be like a white dude there. Yeah. And you're like, that's how this feels. It feels, this feels like Chris Carter's personal Native American gift shop that he's operating on Native American land. It's exactly. It's like Chris Carter going to a Native American reservation, opening up and opening up a giant museum about Native Americans. Yeah. Without Which, any input from any actual Native Americans. No. But he's like qualified because like one time like he had this healing ceremony that was like traditional to Native American culture. And then also one time when he was in third grade, his best friend was actually um, actually a Native American. So he's more than qualified yeah, to understand all of the indigenous experiences. All Duh, of, of course. Who better? Isn't that the question? So 
Mulder's daddy is like, your sister's not dead, and I could basically tell you what happened to her now, but I'm not going to. So stay alive and go forward and keep searching for this truth. All right? (laughs) So we're back at the FBI headquarters. Scully is meeting with Skinner. She has to go through the main entrance because they took her badge. Um, And when she goes through the metal detector... Something sets the metal detector off, but we don't know what it is. It's just very ominous, and Scully's Mm -hmm. just like, hmm. So she's waiting to talk to Skinner, and her legs came to play today. (laughs) Bestie! (laughs) Anyway, she looks very sexy. She's in a tan skirt suit and her little kitten heels. She looks like so in her power um she's got her legs crossed she's like this is my this is my house she's like this is my office skin man get out um so she brings skinner the newspaper clipping of the thinker's death suggesting that she thinks it was the same men who killed Mulder's father who killed him and she wants skinner to check to see if the bullet was from the same gun as the one used to kill Mulder's dad and Skinner liter- quite literally says, no, heart. And then he patronizes her by calling her Miss Scully, this, which is just, like, rude. This whole scene made me want to rip his scrotum out with my bare hands. Like, men Fair. are so fucking ugly when their egos are hurt. Like, grow a fucking pussy and get over it. Jesus yep. Christ. He's like, you said that I didn't have any power, so I'm going to show you how much power I had because I, he wept about that into his pillow that night when she oh, said totally. that he underestimated yeah. his position in the power of command. He wept about that. And then he's like, I'm yeah. going to make her life a living hell because I cannot handle being diminished in any way, especially by a woman. William B. Davis, eat your heart out, babe. <laughs> Jillian didn't say, Jillian didn't ask me who I was. Mm. I want to make her life a living hell. (laughs) (laughs) You know, who asked me how I was. So Skinner's like, Skinner? Yeah. Mm. Skinner's like, I need the tape. Scully's like, I don't have the tape. And then Scully's like, listen, I don't even care about my reinstatement. I am just a girl who needs to make both my father and my lover proud (laughs) from the grave even and just find the truth, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's like, on a serious note, Scully being so ashamed that she lost that tape that she thinks Mulder died for. And she, like, all of that emotion is relayed in just her saying, I think so, before she leaves. Like, Emmy winner Jillian Lee Anderson, everybody. Yeah, she's fantastic. So then she leaves. (sighs) Cigarette Smoking Man comes out of Skinner's closet and like it's supposed to be scary but it isn't skinner is so far up this man's ass he could wave out of his mouth and like <laughs> that is how this scene reads stream veep that was funny cigarette smoking man is like uh oh that's unfortunate she doesn't know where it is so as scully's leaving the building she goes to the metal detector one more time and it goes off again then she says to the security mm-hmm. guard would you mind running the wand over me one more time? I hate you. Oh my and, god. And when I tell you my heart was beating so fast it pounded out of my chest and ran down the street. Like <laughs> Yes, babe, anything I, for you. 
I never noticed that until you said it. The thing is, like, sans the funniness, the creators writing this show have no fucking idea the kind of bodily violation it would be to discover something implanted inside you. Like, yeah, well, bodily autonomy, who? They don't know. They don't know her. He runs the wand over her neck area and it buzzes and she is concerned because she's not wearing her necklace at that morning and so she goes and gets an x-ray and the x-ray shows a small piece of metal embedded in her soft tissue right behind her um her neck behind her neck on her neck um scully is very concerned she's very scared she's very nervous the doctor who um is helping her removes it for her but she's understandably very freaked out about a foreign object in her body that she doesn't remember consenting to the placement of. Mm -hmm. Um, And just like you said, that's the show just has zero concept of truly how frightening that would be. But luckily the doctor seems to have like an understanding of the weight of her finding that when he's like looking at it. And I just Mm -hmm. like his interactions with her because I just think I like men realizing how powerful she is and actually respecting her for it. It's pleasing. We're back with Dead Mulder then, and Albert's again narrating that he's suffering great fevers, and like, I don't care that he's suffering great fevers, and that he's sweaty and moist, and that there was doubt that he would recover. Like, this, every single time we cut back to Mulder, it's like, we get it. He might be dying. Literally. We get it. Like, and this whole plot line lacks so much urgency and it's being built up as if they were really going to kill him off at the beginning of a new season. Then fucking finally at the end of this very dramatic monologue, we learn that Mulder's alive. Albert gives him a bath and he feeds him. He literally looks like a child wrapped in a blanket. He always just looks like the target dog. (laughs) He totally does. Yeah. So... We're back to Scully and the doctor examining the chip in her neck under a microscope. And Scully has her hair in the cutest little ponytail ever. And her bangs are out. And she has these little clear water pearl earrings. Amazing. Um, I don't love that they made her hair they made her put up her hair with a rubber band because Did like she use the a rubber thought band? of taking that out is so stressful. That makes my skin crawl. But I have something that will offset it for you. Okay. Okay. So, because here's the thing, right? I feel like Scully would abs- – Jillian always seems to have a hair tie on yeah. her. I feel like Scully would use a rubber band because she would just, like, find them. Yeah. And then she would just, like, whatever. And, like, having a rubber band in her hair is, like, probably the least discomfort she's ever felt in her life. So I feel like – it would be Mulder, who's, like, very bothered by that, that she keeps her hair in a rubber band because, like, I don't know, maybe, like, he always saw how it would pull out Samantha's hair or something. Mm. And so um, he tells her that, like, he's like, Scully, you shouldn't put this in your hair. It rips your hair out. I see you do it every single time you have to take it out at the end of the day. And she's like, I know I like that it rips my hair out. And then at some point he like, well, he buys her hair ties. Right. And then he mm-hmm. like leaves them and he leaves a little note on her desk that says, don't do it. It's, it's my job to pull your hair. 
That's a good one. I'll be here all day. That was maybe one of your best ones. That's a good one, isn't it? Because, like, it's sweet a little bit. It's sweet and hot. And... <laughs> okay. I really like that one. Yeah, that was like, that's a great one. Alternatively, though, Fox Mulder wishes he was that smooth. So, Fox okay. Mulder, if you're listening, don't steal my idea. <laughs> so, Scully looks at the chip... She says it looks like a computer chip. She looks so beautiful from this angle. Like the camera is like up and she's sitting down. And it's just like, no wonder Mulder fell in love with her because he's always looking down at her all the time. And she looks so beautiful from this angle. Yeah. Oh. I just realized that. I have a picture of her. She's very beautiful. <laughs> anyway, Scully's very scared obviously she's freaked the fuck out so naturally she goes straight to women yeah she goes straight to the woman that she loves the most her sweet baby angel sister melissa scully and like i'm so in love with the scully women like i feel like there's a boa constrictor that has my heart like in the sweet grip of death i love them so much (laughs) i know so scully shows melissa the chip And she says that she has no recollection of how it got there. And Melissa, of course, understands her fear. And she tries to suggest that Scully seek someone who can help her access the repressed memories. And Scully freaks out a little bit, Mm -hmm. of course. And I love these women. I love these Scully women. I love both of these actors, these women who are playing these characters. They play this scene so immaculately Mm -hmm. like so well and because being afraid to access repressed memories because you fear what you'll recall and what that will mean for the autonomy of your past self and how that might change your life going forward is so palpably embodied by Jillian I was like genuinely speechless yeah and like of course this was just like a little toss in scene like this wasn't even meant to be the main storyline but which is it's ironic the most moving exactly it's the most moving and it's the one with the most urgency like i don't give a shit about molder in this episode i'm sorry like we know he's gonna survive so the, exactly that's exactly it you know he's gonna live so like all of that is just filler whereas with this you really don't know what's gonna happen and both these women are phenomenal actors and they play it and they play it with the weight that it that it needs yep which is wild because it wasn't written with that weight in like every single way too like both in jillian's um understanding of like truly how horrifying this would be this reality would be and how helpless you would feel and how scared you would feel that you don't remember this part of your life and you don't remember what's happened to you both in jillian playing that and also melinda the woman who plays Melissa and in Melinda's just like complete genuine um, care and understanding and support and how gentle she is with Scully Mm -hmm. whilst also telling her what she thinks would be best, even though she knows that that's going to be hard for Scully to hear, like just so immaculate. And then like on top of that, their outfits are perfect. And like, I wrote that too. 
we just have to talk about Scully's oversized denim button down with her massive digital watch because I'm in love with her. We all know this. There's something very special about like a casual Scully and it's like as warm as her home. Like her home and her have a very similar homey, warm, like comforting hug energy. Yeah. And I love it. It's so true. And then Melissa's in like her trademark floral maxi dress and her choker. It's just. I identify with her on a spiritual level. I love that they're so different and that they are also each other's other half. Exactly. It's so beautiful. What frustrates me about this scene is that I feel like the writers are punishing Scully in a really ridiculous way. So bear with me because I don't know if this is going to make any sense and I'm not going off my notes. But like when I was inspired because I was reading the movie blog quotes and they had a really long quote about how this episode specifically seems to completely reject Scully's perspective. Like, mm-hmm. it, which isn't really a surprise because it's usually what they always do. But, like, usually the episodes, I feel like, make some kind of attempt at, like, a rational explanation, whereas this one doesn't um, entertain hers at all. So then when Melissa says, it's like you've lost all touch with your intuition, the use of intuition has a lot of gendered assumptions that go along with it because women are described as very intuitive and emotional. I know that there's something here because Scully was forced to become more pragmatic and objective in order to survive in a male-dominated force. And then her, but then it's her rejection of that femininity, of her intuition, of her emotion that causes these problems. It's almost like blaming her, but then she can't win either way. That causes, it's like... It becomes her own downfall because because Melissa's saying that, like, she's, like, completely shut off all of her intuition. That's why she doesn't remember what happened. And, like, memory is the crux of not only this show but this episode. It's, like, memory is what's going to save all. And she doesn't have access to her memory because she's rejected her intuition. But how else could she survive in her field if she didn't do that? So what the fuck was she supposed to do? Like, there's right. literally no winning for her. And I think that that's more, like, of an interesting... I don't know that that's necessarily a fault of the writers. I, I kind uh, it's of, very I real. kind of like that. Yeah. Like yeah. that's genuinely something that I think was very unintentional, but like, I actually really like that you brought up, brought that up and that you pointed that out because I feel like that's very real and that's very true to Scully specifically. Like, of course that yeah. general, um, that general uh, compromise of one thing or the other and then however that compromise impacts other aspects of oneself yeah is very real for women and a lot of people who are the minority in anyone who code switches yeah or yeah but this like the way that you described it specifically and the specific um characteristic compromises that scully had to make feel very scully like they feel very character specific and I, I wrote, I write later on at some point that I would love, oh, right. I think, oh yeah, I, I write it soon. So I'll talk about it, but I would love to see like just the most in-depth character analysis of Scully, because I feel like that, like that's such an incredible analysis and that's such an incredible thing to point out. And it's like, it's never, it's just like thrown in, like, it's just thrown in there. 
Exactly. So, yeah, I think that I articulated like, it badly in the sense that no, like- No, 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 you, you articulated it perfectly. I'm saying like, it's another one of those things where like, where the X-Files just, they just introduce a loss. Yeah. And then, and then there's no following through of that. And exactly. How to, and how to redeem oneself and how to create change after- um, you know, whatever you've lost something when something's been unjust, like whatever it is, it's that same like introduction of loss and then no exploration from there. Also, I think it's, it's a problem within the show in the sense that like, like you were saying, this episode asserts that the idea of, of like memory being power. Um, but that's hard because trauma takes away memory and takes away that power and scully is traumatized significantly more than any other character on the show so she's effectively forbidden from ever fully accessing her power if that's the equation that we're doing and and that sucks like she's literally never going to be able to step into her power if she doesn't have access to her memory but she's continually traumatized and to a certain degree like it almost trivializes her her existence in anything meaningful in the work that she's doing yeah. Right. Because it's like they're suggesting that the the beginning quote is like those who would douse the flame of memory in order to put out the dangerous fire of truth. It's like the whole point of this show is like to get to the truth. So to suggest that Scully f- is incapable or doesn't never fully accesses her memory, or in this case is 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 unwilling or hesitant to access that part of her memory suggests that she never fully steps into her power and therefore her uh contribution to and her presence and everything that she goes through in order to aid this journey to the truth is 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 minuscule yeah like it's not it's not full it's not as fully realized as molders exactly journey yeah because Mulder's strong enough to access the memories that will lead him to the truth scully isn't Mm -hmm. it's so fucked that's a really really good point and it's like i say i want to read a character study of scully like in depth but like i want someone who fully recognizes the depth and abundance of her as a character to do it i don't i don't but you could do a bad character analysis and be like, she's religious, she's objective, she's scientific, and and it's not you you like. I, what's interesting is the intricacies of how she's forced to conform in certain areas, and and it's all of the different layers of her personal life and her relationship with her sister and her mom and her dad, and then how that affects her relationships with her coworkers and her col- colleagues and all of those things. Like that's what's interesting, not the. Yeah the base not the tropes that she's been set to fit totally yeah and it's also like how those tropes then fit into sort of the larger analytical aspect of her character yeah that that make it interesting exactly Um, because if you think about it we all fit certain tropes totally like you can but it's like that's very much like a surface level that's like a starting point or that may like fill in certain things or that might explain certain things. Yeah. Okay. So that's an incredible point. Thank you for bringing that up. You're Thank so you. smart. Yeah. Um, I cried watching this scene because 
I'm a simp. And mm-hmm. also because having a sister, their relationship is very special to me. And having a sister who's very different from me, but very much so like my other half. It's very special to me. And Melissa is very special to me. And I think you all know how I feel about Scully. So (laughs) it's emotional because Melissa wants so badly for Scully to be able to address what someone did to her in the way that Scully wants to. Mm. Um, But she also is smarter than Scully in the sense that she knows knowing yourself fully is the only way to be able to do that. Like it's the only way you begin to repair um, and this is like very much so a moment of of hard truths and like tough love where she's yeah. having to tell Scully something that she knows she's not going to want to hear or that's going to be difficult to hear, but will be for the better. Mm-hmm. Then I get then it got me thinking that it's like Scully so needed to hear what Melissa had to say and her suggestion um, for Scully to go to a um, what is it a regression? Yeah, hypnotherapist. And then it just made me really sad because she so needed Melissa's advice and her presence of mind and her spirit like forever. And I'm not going to cry, but like, I can't believe they kill her. It's because they're so unaware of exactly what you just said. The creators, the fully male writer's room has no concept of that kind of relationship and the depth that that would hold. This is where I was like, I want to read, I would die to read a character's study I wouldn't die but I would love to read a character study of Scully and how she grows to embody like this part of Melissa the part that's so unlike her but um literally fills a part of Scully that is necessary for her survival yeah and just like the friend that Melissa is the nurturer how much of a lover she is and like what a perfect sister she was to her and like, okay, if you want to believe Mulder and Scully are soulmates, whatever, that's up for debate. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that Melissa and Scully are soulmates. Oh, yeah. 100%. And then I was, like, thinking. And I said, um, I figured maybe Scully falls in love with Mulder because once her grief settles to the point of being able to, like, resume daily life. Like, I don't think her grief... Mm-hmm for her is ever fully gone but no. she finds like melissa's best bits in Mulder, and the reason i thought of that what the fuck the reason i thought of that is because when she does do hypnotherapy later on um like it's Mulder who who's there with her i'm getting weepy <laughs> no me too i'm fully I, I mean i'm my eyes are fully crying um that's so that's so beautiful that is it is so amazing to me that like you and like women like you can have so much more of an understanding of this character that was created as like a eh, she'll just like be the opposition to the main she'll character. just be there <laughs> like oh my god i really think that that's beautiful i that's really love so that beautiful thank you for i love your brain <laughs> do <laughs> I love you. Thank you for letting me share that because... Yeah, oh my god, that's so beautiful. You guys, Emily came into my room fully weeping after she watched this episode. It's so sad to me. Like, it's yeah. so... Well, it's and, and, and here's the issue, right? Is like, we'll obviously get there, but it's like, 
it's so upsetting because it's like it's majoritively upsetting not even because of like the real trauma that that inflicts on scully next to the fucking trauma that that inflicts on maggie scully having to lose a daughter i i if i could write another thesis it would be on maggie scully totally a hundred percent next to the fact that you had melissa scully literally have her life taken away from her and then it's like the mishandling the carelessness with which they handle this whole scene is just so heartbreaking oh yeah anyways melissa convinces scully to just try her suggestion of hypnotherapy for her so of course she does and she goes to a session to try and access the memories of what may have happened to her and this poor baby she tries so hard and like clearly something is happening um but then like he touches her for some reason i have a lot of thoughts about this yeah and and it was really frustrating because i don't remember that part and i was like very into his method and and how he was approaching it and how he was going about this and and just um how grounding he was being for her as obviously seeing that she doesn't do this often and was very skeptical of it Mm -hmm. and then he touched her like when she was like in semi reality semi consciousness if you want to say and it's like why the fuck would you do that well that's just fucking horrible writing because a therapist would never touch you without asking first off second off a therapist that specializes in walking people through remembering trauma would absolutely never touch a patient especially when they were in the middle of a hypnosis ever that would never happen and then it's like just the ultimate irony which is that we're literally talking about a woman who is trying to access repressed memories of non-consensual touching yeah exactly exactly and like my biggest thing about this whole scene is that women not being able to remember a trauma that happened to them is not supernatural that's not conspiracy it's just trauma and millions of women have felt that exact feeling that scully is feeling here and the creators have no fucking idea but what bajillion does and like yep. and that's why the acting is so palpable like the dialogue itself is so contrived it's yeah. like i had to trust someone yeah. i was powerless i couldn't resist them but like like that's fucking meaningless but jillian's portrayal of the discomfort of feeling shut out by your own memories is what makes this such a powerful moment absolutely especially when she plays him touching her like yeah it's at this point in the plot where it feels like there are so many things happening, particularly to Scully, that are just, and, and women, I'll say in general, when we meet Mulder's mom later, um, mm-hmm. and obviously what happens to Melissa, that are happening to the women in this show that feel so gratuitous, that just aren't necessary. Like, there are clear ways out of this plot or um, from one scene to the next scene that don't need to happen in the most traumatizing way possible. (laughs) Yeah. Like she very much so could have just tried really, really hard 
And then just like been like, this isn't work. Like it was kind of building up to that, building up to her saying, this isn't, this isn't working Mm -hmm. or this is too much for me or whatever. I don't know if like him touching her was meant to be like a signal to audiences that part of this repressed memory is of non-consensual touching. I think the fact that she has a fucking chip in the back of her neck was enough to gauge that. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so I don't know. So anyways, him touching her, of course, shocks her out of her state and she leaves because she's more traumatized and freaked the fuck out. So she pulls up to her apartment and she sees Skinner walking out of her building. It's super suspect. She ends up calling him later and confronting him about it. And he's like, you're crazy. You didn't see anything. Okay. Also, it's like, I thought this episode was about the power of memory, motherfucker. Like, what do you mean? Exactly. Oh my God. Like, and now we're gaslighting people? I don't understand. You can't. That's such a good point. That's such a good point. You literally cannot have the theme of the whole fucking arc of this be memory is power. Memory leads you the truth. And then have her have the shit gaslighted out of her. Like, what? All the shit. What? She's like gaslighted until she's like dehydrated. You've been gaslighted so hard you get diarrhea. Scully has. She's <laughs> completely on the verge of dehydration. She's been gaslit so hard. Yeah. Okay, so now we're back with Mulder. Albert tells him that to complete the ceremony, he must not do any work, change his clothes, or bathe for four days. He's like, uh, yeah, sorry, Scully's not going to want to sleep next to that. So he finishes his part. Albert finishes his part of the healing ceremony. And like, Mulder, bestie, this is when you say thank you and that you're sorry for any further harm and hurt that you've caused Albert or his family. Yeah. But no, instead we get some fucking monologue with a holographic David Duchovny about the existential bridge between life and death he was on. And at this point, I'm, I'm done with these holographs, holographic images. I'm done with them. I'm done yeah. with these visions. I'm not invested in anything he has to say anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But then we see it was just Scully having a dream about him. Like, I'm sorry. These are not the Mulder dreams Scully's having. Literally. This, these are not what they are, babe. Like, maybe, maybe she's having dreams where his body is only partially visible to her, but let me tell it's, you, it's not from the neck up. It's not that half. I mean, if his cock is not out, it's not her dream. I'm sorry. Are I mean, we, maybe, sure? we couldn't see waist down. Maybe his slong was just, like, hanging. It was just also there. It was just, like, a little bit dismembered. Like, it was yeah. just shoulder Floating. up. She's, like, then, reaching for it as it Like, waist up. down. <laughs> as the lone dick floats through the stars she's like no come back he's like scully i'm talking to you she's like what Hmm? she's like oh yeah he's alive for sure now i know she's like that image was too clear but i do i have a quote about this part from trusty movie blog um that said the blessing way builds off anasazi and even Endgame to suggest that Mulder is a very special individual with an almost divine purpose. Everything that you've been saying. Um, this is about this is about 
as heavy as the Molder as Christ subtext will get in Tell Amorphity, um, but it's pretty damn heavy. Mulder is explicitly killed and resurrected, earning considerably more fanfare than Scully did on her round trip to beyond to the beyond and back again. That's exa- that's exactly what I'm trying to say. That round that sums it up very well. I mean, movie blog's really good at that. It's literally that they're like, he's dead and he's alive. He's Jesus. He's the chosen one. As if you haven't killed Scully and brought her back to life already. Yeah. Like, where was her fucking Christ arc? Literally, exactly. Um, Scully is Jesus Christ. Because actually. my life would would have been over if she died. So. <laughs> yeah. I don't know about you, but. The next day, um, Scully goes to Mulder's dad's burial. She talks with Mrs. Mulder. She introduces herself to her. And Mrs. Mulder is, like, so shocked that she just doesn't respond. She's like, oh, my God, Fox was right. She's so gorgeous. And then she's like, oh, my God, son, wherever you are, please marry this woman. She doesn't respond. Scully's like, "I'm hi, I'm Dana Scully. I work with your son. And she's just like hmm Oh, that's cute. He definitely made a promise to her that, like, he would bring her home one day. So, anyway, Scully's like, Scully tells Mulder's mother that uh, she has a very strong feeling that he's going to be found and that he's alive. Um, but one of Cigarette Smoking Man's asshole friends is eavesdropping, and he pulls Scully aside to talk to her, and um, he tries to get information out of her about Mulder. However, she's very quick on her feet, and she doesn't tell him anything. Mm-hmm. And then he tells her that he's definitely dead and that she's going to be next. He tells her that it will happen one of two ways, and the second way is exactly the kind of behavior that Skinner's been displaying. So Scully is nervous. Us, yeah. So we cut to Mulder. Um, alive and on his feet at his mother's house in Martha's Vineyard. What a reveal. And all I am thinking about in this moment is the fact that this actress is one year older than David Duchovny. She's not actually. We, oh, she r- isn't? No, remember somebody, I, this was a note that I had, um, we talked oh. about, somebody commented on that post and said that it, the internet's actually wrong. The actress is, oh. is a lot older than him. She was born in the 40s. Okay. Um, Never mind. Ageism still exists, but I did. I had a note to correct that because we said that. Oh, okay. So he says that he needs to know more about their their dad. Oops. Oh. He says that he needs to know more about his father, and so he takes her down in the basement and he starts showing her these photos of all of these white assholes who cigarette smoking man has been with in the whole episode, and his father. And he keeps asking his mother who they are and if she remembers if they ever came to the house and what they wanted. And then he starts screaming at her because she can't remember. As if she isn't grieving and isn't very much so plagued by the same, if not worse, traumas than him regarding their family. Exactly. It's like she's deemed weak and even complicit because of her refusal to remember when she's really just a fucking victim. Like, she has no way of remembering because she was traumatized. So Scully gets home and Melissa calls her. She tells her that she's going to come over because she was really worried about her since she hadn't heard from her since she went to her hypnotherapy session. Um, Then Scully hangs up and she realizes that someone was listening to their call. 
Um, unfortunately, she calls Melissa back, but like the good sister she is, she left right away because she was so worried about her. So Scully leaves a message and says that she's going to come to Melissa instead. And as she's leaving on the way to her car, Skinner pulls up and tells her to get in the car. But obviously she's very suspect and he says that he just wants to talk. So they go to Mulder's apartment and she draws a gun on him immediately. And it's so hot. It's so powerful. Then we see Melissa. She's going into Scully's apartment and um, she walks through Scully's door and she gets shot. Krychek is the one who killed her. There's some other random man there. Fuck him too. And then you see that Krychek realizes that it's not who he thought it was that walked through the door. Obviously, it's not fucking Scully. The issue that I have with this is that after that happens, we cut back to, first of all, again, the carelessness with which this scene is handled is just so appalling. It's, um, it's truly like it's a side character. Yeah. Um, and they treat her uh, like she is um, a ragdoll, which I don't appreciate. The other issue I have with this is that it goes back to Scully, very much so in her power, very much so in control of the situation that she's commanding. And it just made me really sad because one, it didn't need to happen for the plot to be filled with urgency and to be entertaining Mm -hmm. and to be suspenseful. but two, now, like, the only suspense of that choice is Scully just has more trauma to deal with, and it's all her fault because she left her apartment to go with Skinner. Um, and now we have this sub-trauma plot line. And the way that I felt watching it was, like, it very much so um, minimized how much Scully was in command of that um situation with Skinner because they were like psych she's not really in command of anything in her life like this That's is such a good like point a, oh my god this is, this is just kind of like a tease like she thinks she's in control and she thinks that she's in command and she thinks that she can protect everyone in her life which she shouldn't even have to fucking worry about but really she can't but it like jokes on her because she doesn't even know that yet. So like it's we'll let her play it out and like it'll be really cute that she can have this commanding power and this agency now. But like then she'll have to deal with the fact that her sister is dead. So That's such a good point. It's That's really, literally it really frustrating. Oh my god, I didn't even realize that. It completely usurps all of the power that she holds in that scene with Skinner. Fuck that. So Scully's interrogating Skinner and he tells her he's not, it's just so patronizing. That's just the best way to describe it. Mm -hmm. Um, And he tells her he's not here to kill her, which obviously Scully thinks that he is. Um, And he says that he's here to tell her that he has the tape, that he took it out from Mulder's desk. And the whole time she has a gun pointed on him because she's still obviously very scared and very suspect of him. Mm-hmm. then they hear footsteps at the door and scully's attention is pulled away for a split second and skinner pulls a gun on her and then the episode ends wow that was exhausting yep basically um fuck this episode yep long live melissa scully 
Yeah, we can do a little tribute poster where you can say your your very sweet thought about. Okay. Okay, do you want to do a quick Jillian's Corner? Yes, ma'am. Do you want to sing? Sure. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba-da-ba. Jillian's Corner. That was pretty. <laughs> what are these? Was what it? if we like really composed a actual theme song for that and like came in one episode with like a fully <laughs> produced song? Like as a surprise. That's see, that's what Jillian deserves, but it's not what Jillian would do herself. So really, I feel like that's our constant conundrum. <laughs> I think that I think that we celebrate her in plenty of other ways. She would like that. She would like that. Messy, chaotic nature thrown, of thrown together theme song i think so too yeah all right friends we're gonna play okay stop because we haven't in a bit this was a heavy episode so what better way to finish it off than to <laughs> have you listen to us listen to an interview of jillian <laughs> okay so we're gonna be doing we're gonna be okay stopping to an interview that Jillian did on Jay Leno, which, by the way, okay, public oh, service yeah. announcement. The first half of this video is on YouTube, right? Twice. Um, Stevie and I have scoured the internet, right, for the second like, half of this clip because it used to be on the internet, and I know because I know I saw it with my two own eyes. I know I did. Yeah. And as we were looking um nbc had to be the biggest homophobe on the planet and they took down the second part due to copyright so if any of you have the second half of this jay leno interview from 2011 please send it our way like we've we've literally been in every crevice of the internet so we're going to be commenting on one part specifically just in the middle of the first part let's just do it i think all right Let's get okay, into here it. Here we go. Which language or which accent is it more fun to cuss in? That's a very good question. Um, well, I don't know. I'm thinking about some of my favorite American cuss words. Like, like what are some of those? Well, my favorite cuss of all time. Yeah. Can you say that? Cuss? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Can you? Okay. Yeah. okay my stop. favorite cuss is... <laughs> cuss is like such an American word, I feel like. Is that not true? I have no idea. I wouldn't know. I feel like it's a an American Southern word. I don't like it. She even sounds Southern saying it. Cuss. <laughs> right? She's like, right? my favorite cuss. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> okay, stop. She says, fuck you, you fucking fucker, right? I think she says, fuck you, you fucking fuck. Just to clear, because they can't see it. Correct. And we'll post, like, a GIF or something. The the last word is unclear. Basically, fuck is her favorite swear word, is is the moral, is the the gist. It's really satisfying. You know something, I... It covers a lot of bases. Normally, I pay $1.99 a minute for that. Oh, do you? Okay, stop. I don't. I think she said like different versions of what she was saying. 
Okay, has she said cunt yet? She just said cunt, yeah. A cunt, I think, is objectively the best word. I agree, and it's also the best word because it repulses Jay Leno so much, which probably means that it repulses mo- most men. It does. Well, people look at that as, like, the worst word that you can possibly say, and I think it is so badass that she gets on a national television show and is just like, cunt's British, right? Like, cunt can be cunt, cunt, cunt. It's cuntastic. Like, she just won't stop saying cunt, and he, you can tell he wants to peel his skin off, and that is pleasing. It's so pleasing. The fact, I have one qualm. Hmm. The qualm is that I think it's very homophobic that Jay Leno has heard Jillian Anderson say cunt and I haven't. That is that's just a little, that's just a little, I'm just sad about it, you know? And that's okay. Mourn that. But I like that she just keeps saying it despite his discomfort. Oh, me too. That's so powerful. Because it's about time we reclaim that word. Yeah. Okay, stop. <laughs> she literally tries to fashion cunt in the format of fuck you, you fucking fuck. And I think that that is so iconic. And the fact that NBC is is too weak to air that without the censor is so disappointing. Yeah, absolutely. So cunt you, you cunting cunt. Honestly, worthy of legal action. <laughs> Let's take down NBC. Let's do it. And Fox while we're at it. Yeah. yeah um, Should we move on? Uh, do, you, do you have a couple of drinks before you take <laughs> Okay, stop. It's really funny to me because she's like so I think it's I think the funniest part of this interview to me is that she's like, well, British versus American swear words, like what do you mean? Because she isn't, she doesn't say rubbish and bloody anything. Yeah. Like, she just swears, you know? She doesn't swear like a Brit. She just swears like a human being. Well, what's funny is that he was expecting her to be like, well, I like, um, a shit. I like, uh, like, sometimes I'll say fuck. Uh, but, like, not very often. And then I like to say bloody hell. Um, instead, she was like, fuck you, you fucking funt. And also, cunt you, you cunting cunt. <laughs> She's like, cunt, cunt, cunt. C-U-N-T, cunt. And he, um, that's not what he was expecting. Well, it's just, I remember growing up, I was told that cunt was the absolutely worst thing a woman could be called. Like, worst thing. And that it was just, like, an awful word. Um, and now I'm like, what the fuck? Let's reclaim cunt 2021. Yeah. I mean, it's already happened. That's already a thing. But I really like that she um, that she chose that word. Me too. And, that, and she didn't just say cunt. She said cunt, period. Yeah. Yep. And she like did a hard T, which I also appreciate. It's true. <laughs> and uh, 
that's okay. Stop. And that's Jillian's corner. So yeah, here's the moral of the story, which is that Jillian Anderson would want you to say cunt and swear with your whole chest. So exactly. Just because, okay, realistically, right? The issue that Jay Leno has with her saying that is that it's very aggressive and it's very, it's not like a pretty word. It's not ladylike. It's not feminine. It doesn't yeah, not sound, it doesn't sound pretty coming out of someone's mouth. She said it like 50 times, which makes her even hotter in my eyes, but exactly. not attractive in the male gaze. And so basically what I'm saying is that the male gaze is weak and cunts are strong. Yep. Exactly. So fuck being ladylike. Call yourself a cunt. Call your friends cunts. We'll see you next Mom. time. <laughs> lovingly. Lovingly. Yeah. Lovingly always. Cunt with love. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And we'll see you next time on, on The, the Sex, Sex Files. Files. We love you. Bye. Bye. You're my favorite cunt. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're mine. <laughs> <laughs>